jump in because today we're looking at the book of Job. And when I say the book of Job, I mean the book of Job, okay? So we're going through the whole thing. And so if you have your Bible and you want to go to Job, go ahead, turn to Job. We're going to be there the entire time, all right? But we're in a message series called Navigating Life. And so we are looking at the wisdom literature found in Scripture, which is in the Old Testament. So we have the Psalms, we have the Proverbs, we have Job, we have Ecclesiastes, all right? And so this week is Job, and we're going to be looking at that. How do we take the book of Job and apply it to our lives today? Because sometimes when you read the Old Testament, you're like, how does this even affect me at all? Well, that's what we're going to look at. How can we take the wisdom of the book of Job and apply it to our lives today and how we can live today? Okay, in our culture, we live in a culture where we, we like to ask the question, why, right? If you're a parent in here, you hear that question multiple times a day, don't you? I mean multiple. I have three kids. I hear it all the time. They, they ask me. I just say, I don't know. I don't know. Get away from me. I have no clue, okay, why, all right? My daughter asked me a question. I want to know the answer. I want to tell her why. I just don't know. Google it, okay? You're six. You can figure it out, okay? Kids love to ask the question why. Now, that's just curiosity, right? They're just curious. That's great. That's awesome. Okay, maybe you like to ask the question why at work. Some of you always want to ask your boss why, or maybe you are the boss and people always continue to ask you why, okay? Or what about your spouse? You ask them why. Why'd you do that? My wife the other day was like, that was dumb. Why'd you do that, right? We like to ask the question why. We actually live in a culture where we love explanations. We love to just know the why. And some of us in this room, we love to give explanations. And you know who you are, okay? I know I am one of those people. My wife says something, and I want to give, I want to explain it to her. And she's like, is that even, is that true? And I'm like, it should be. It sounds logical, okay? And then it's usually wrong. And she's like, you were just making it up. And it's like, all right, yes, I was. I like to give explanations, even though I'm not qualified many times to give the explanations, You see, when we look at the book of Job, most people think that this entire book is all about the why. Why do we go through suffering? Why do we go through hardships? Why does God allow good people to go through hardships? You see, a lot of people think the book of Job is about the why, but but the wisdom of Job is not about the why. And we're going to see that in a little bit. It's not about why does God do this, but rather it's about how. How does God do this? And what do we do with this in our lives? And so today, as we go through the book of Job, I want this quote to just resonate in your heart and in your soul. Warren Wearsby said this. So I'm, I'm completely stealing this. Warren Wearsby said, for those who follow Jesus, for those who have a relationship with Jesus Christ and, and want to follow God with their heart, he says, we do not live by explanations. We live by promises. We do not live by explanations. We live by promises. And this is what we're going to see in Job. Is sometimes God doesn't give you the why. We ask why, and that's fine. There's some times where it's okay to ask why. But guess what? God may not answer you. He may not tell you. And so we can't live, live according to the why because we, never, we might not get it. But we can live according to his promises. 
And so, let's go through the book of Job. But in order to understand it, uh, to order, in order to understand it fully, the way we're going to go through it is I want you to imagine that you were handed a ticket as you entered. And that ticket got you into this amazing theater today, okay? So imagine one of those big, beautiful theaters where you're going to go watch the opera or something. And so we are at this theater, but this is the theater of life. And unfolding is the life of Job today. And so out walks a narrator. The book starts with the narrator, and he comes out, and he tells us what we need to hear. But here's a catch. is when the narrator comes out in chapter 1, Job is behind the curtain. He can't see or hear what's going on. Only you and I can. And that's where we're going to begin today. And the narrator begins this way. Job chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. There was once a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. He also had many servants, and he was, in fact, the richest person in that entire area. Job's sons would take turns preparing feasts in their homes, and they would also invite their three sisters to celebrate with them the inclusion, right? When these celebrations ended, sometimes after several days, Job would purify his children. He would get up early in the morning and offer a burnt offering for each of them. For Job said to himself, perhaps my children have sinned and have cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular practice. And so the narrator begins by giving us a glimpse of Job. And and after reading this, we have some questions. Who is Job? Right? Who wrote this book? When did this happen? Where is the land of us? You see, there are a lot, there are no answers to many of our questions, but we do learn a few things about Job in these first five verses. First, we learn that Job was rich in character. Verse one tells us he was a man of complete integrity. Complete integrity. He was blameless. He feared God. He stayed away from evil. Did you know that nowhere else in Scripture do we see a constellation of a a description of a person who feared God more than that? And God Himself was saying that through His Word. No one else was, was blameless like Job was. Job was not sinless, but he was sincere and he was obedient to the Lord. He feared God, which is actually the beginning of knowledge. And he stayed away from evil, meaning he stayed away from the temptations that came in life. He just stayed away from them. He turned away from those temptations. He was rich in character. He had complete integrity. It makes me want people to say that about me. It challenges me to have complete integrity in my life. Next, we read that Job was rich in family. You read it in there. He had seven sons, three daughters. We all know in their cultures and in previous cultures, family was everything, right? Especially sons. So he has seven sons, which is more than what he probably expected. And he had three daughters. He was rich in family. And not only did he have a big family, but he cared for his family. Did you notice at the end, it said they would have parties and then he would go and pray and intercede for them in case they sinned and cursed God. It also challenges me to think about how much I'm interceding for my kids, how much I'm praying for my kids, that they would follow God and walk away from evil. 
We also see that he was rich in possessions. This is what a lot of people know about Job. People know about that he was rich in possession. In fact, he was the, the richest person in the area. All right? So he was highly respected. He had, he had all the wealth. He had all the family. And he also had the character. Now that we know a little bit about Job, the narrator, what he does, he's still out there. Remember, Job and the people don't know what's going on. The narrator pushes a button, and a large screen comes down. And in verses 6 through 12, we get to watch a scene from a, the heavenly, from a heavenly world, a scene with God and some angelic beings. And so remember, Job can't see this. He has no clue this is going on. And so Job chapter 1, verses 6 through 12, the narrator continues. He says, one day the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser, Satan, came with them. Where have you come from, the Lord asked Satan. Satan answered the Lord, I have been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. Then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth, and here he goes again. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. God was saying that about Job. That should challenge us. Satan replied to the Lord, yes, but Job has good reason to fear God. You have always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You have always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. That was a, a typo. You have made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. But reach out and take away everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And so, all right, God says, you may test him. Do whatever you want with him. Everything, do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. And so one day, all of a sudden, there's this uh, divine counsel, and God's there with some angelic beings, but then an intruder came in, which is Satan, the adversary, and he had this twisted bent against God and his people, and we see that God, he's like, hey, what are you doing? And Satan's like, I'm just going, just watching everything, all right? And notice how Satan, Satan is not omnipresent like God is. Satan has to go to and fro. He has to walk to watch everything, and then God says, hey, have you ever thought about my servant Job? It's almost as if God picks the fight with Satan, like, hey, you should test him out and see what happens. And Satan says, that's great because Job's faith is probably artificial because you've given him everything. He's rich in family. He's rich in character. He's rich in possession. Why wouldn't he have faith in you? You've blessed him so much. And Satan says, let's take that all away and see what Job does. Let's see how he responds. Satan has a firm belief that Job's faithfulness is artificial. And so the game is on, right? And so th at this point, the narrator hits the button again. The screen goes up. The curtains open. And we see Job for the first time. We see Job in his surroundings. Think about his wealth. Think about his character. Think about his family. And as we grip our seats, because we know what's coming, Job doesn't know what's coming, we know what's coming to him. The question running through our minds is, how will Job respond? Not the why. We already kind of know what's going on in the background, but how will Job respond to what's about to happen in his life? And so just to summarize, because it would be a lot of reading, but first we see in verses 13 through 15 in chapter 1, we see his livestock stolen. 
and his servants killed. And this was done by human evil. People, the Sabaeans came in and totally just stole everything. And then in verse 16, the, a, a different part of his livestock were killed and his servants were killed. All right, this was by a natural disaster. It was a fire. And then we see in verse 17, more livestock was stolen and his servants were killed. In five verses, Job's entire investment portfolio was gone, right? His wealth was gone. And at this point, you're like, okay, wealth isn't everything. We still have family, but then the dagger comes, right? And a lot of us know this story. Job 1, 18 through 19, while he was still speaking, while the servant who came to tell him that all this stuff was gone, another messenger arrived with this news. He said, sir, your sons and daughters were feasting in their oldest brother's home. Suddenly, a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness and hit the house on all sides. The house collapsed, and all your children are dead. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. So I can see losing all your wealth. You're like, okay, I can just build it back up. But my kids? At this point, we're thinking, what's Job going to do? How is he going to respond to this? We're not asking why. What's the next point? How is he going to respond? I can't imagine what he must have been going through. Let's read Job 1, 20 through 22. Job stood up, tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head and fell to the ground to worship. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb and I'll be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. Job made it. Job got through this. How did he get through this? Perseverance by faith. Do you see here? His response was not why. He said, you know what? God gave me everything I had. And you know what? God took everything I had, but that doesn't change the way I operate. That doesn't change what I do. I'm still going to operate by faith. I'm still going to persevere by faith in God, knowing that he knows better than I know. He made it through. He continued in faith in the midst of the most intense suffering anyone probably could ever go through. He made it. He just had a spiritual victory, but can he do it again? Because we know Job doesn't end at chapter one, right? And so chapter two comes in. The, the curtain closes again. The screen comes down because once again, we see this heavenly realm and, and Job can't see it. He has no clue what's going on. And we read this in chapter two, verses four and five. Remember, he, he persevered by faith in the first trial, but then Satan replied to the Lord because it was the same exchange. God says, hey, have you thought of Job again? And then he said, skin for, skin for skin. A man will give up everything he has to save his life. Because remember, God said, don't touch him. You can take everything he has, but don't touch him. And now God says, okay, you can touch him, but reach out and take his health. And he will surely curse your face. And God says, all right, you can have him. You just can't kill him. You can have him. Take his health, whatever you want. You just can't kill him. And so you know what the outcome is? We're not going to read it. 
But right after that, we hear, we hear, we read that he gets these boils all over his body. Now that's not as far as you go. All throughout the book of Job, he actually kind of gives us clues what's going on with his health. We see that he has an emancipated, shriveled body. He has swollen eyes. He has boils all over his skin, fever. He has itchy skin, aching. We even see that he has bad breath, right? You know, that's, that's interesting, You see, the outcome is that, the worst part is that he was unrecognizable. His health was so bad. Satan was trying him so much. He was working on his health so much that he couldn't even recognize the man. Worst of all, though, is what happens with his wife at that point when his wife is helpless and she doesn't even know how to help him. She gets down and says, Job, this is when you need to curse God and die. And so Satan's not only attacking him physically, but he also uses his wife to say, you know what, just curse God and die. I can't help you. Obviously, God can't help you. Just die already. So there's a physical trial. There's also a mental trial. There's a spiritual trial. What does Job do? How does he respond? Well, we see it here, Job 2.10. But Job replied, you talk like a foolish woman. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? He says, so in all this, Job said nothing wrong. At this point, don't you just want to cheer, right? Don't you just want to be like, yes, you made it. Awesome. Job should be done right here. Chapter 2, it should be done right here, but it's not. And so as we try to leave the theater thinking it's over, that's only the end of Act 1. And so they reset the stage, and they get it ready, they close the curtains, and then they open the curtains again, and we get to Act 2. And we we see Act 2 begins with Job lying there. Lying there, unrecognizable, in intense anguish and pain, with no relief in sight. His money's gone, his kids are gone, and the only thing he has left is his integrity. Job has no clue how this story is going to end. We can jump to chapter 42 and read how this story is going to end, but Job can't. He has no clue what went on between God and Satan. He has no clue how this is going to end. And so in response to his suffering, Job starts to ask questions like many of us ask during our sufferings. He starts to ask, why? Why, God, what have I done to deserve this treatment? What have I, your servant, why did you have to do this to me? You see, so many of us can relate to Job's journey because just like Job, we don't know chapters 1 and 2 or 42 of our lives, do we? We can't see what happens in God's realm. We're behind the curtain, so to speak. We don't know how it's going to end. Our suffering is just like Job. Our hardships in life are just like Job. But, but when we come to that, usually we start asking why, why, why? Why me? And sometimes we can't answer why because, you know what? Sometimes we suffer because of our own actions, right? Our own consequences. If you lie, if you steal, if you cheat, whatever it may be, sometimes our consequences, we know why. It's like, oh, I did that right? Sometimes we know the why because this is a broken world. 
A lot of us know, hey, this is just a sinful world that's broken. When Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden, God didn't say, hey, it's going to be lollipops and gumdrops for you. He says it's going to be hard, you're going to sweat, and you're going to die. It's going to be hard. You see, God knows what he's doing. We know why. We know why sometimes we suffer. But when an accident happens, when disease comes into our lives, when evil happens, when unfair people mistreat us, when a natural disaster, when those things broadside our happiness and creates chaos in our life and it takes our breath away, a lot of times that leads us into unhealthy questioning of God. Because there's a healthy questioning of God. David does it in a lot of the Psalms. He says, why? But there's also an unhealthy questioning of God. And that's what leads Job, and that's what Job goes into in his life. Why? Why me? Why? Where are you, God? This doesn't make sense. You start to doubt God. You start to doubt his power. You start to doubt his goodness. You start to doubt who he is as God. You see, sometimes our suffering in life can lead us to run away from God or lean away. And just like Job, we have a decision. We can either lean in or lean away. When we go through some suffering in life, we also have people who want to answer the question, why? I already talked about that. There are a lot of us who love to give explanations. We want to let people know. And so we have friends in our lives who are ready for simple answers and to give pet theologies, so to speak, for God to explain life's hardships. There's a lot of little sayings out there of why you go through some suffering in life. And a lot of our friends are well-meaning, but they don't really understand who God is and who we are in their life. And so they want to help us, but really all they're doing is causing us more grief and more pain. And so in, for 35 chapters, that's why a lot of us, if you've ever read through Job, usually after chapters one and two, you're like, man, this is a long book. I'm not kidding. I, I, I'm like, this is long. For 35 chapters, we see this exchange between Job and his three and then a fourth friend. We see their interaction. And his friends begin with, begin so well because they get to Job, they can't recognize him, and all they do is they sit down with him for seven days and they don't talk. They just sit with him. They're there. They started off well, but then they began to talk. And that's usually when things go wrong, right, in our lives. It's when we open our mouths. And so they start to talk, and they try to give Job easy explanations of why he's suffering, but they're all wrong. And so the first friend that we see is Eliphaz. And so he argues from personal experience. He says, you know what, Job? Your suffering is happening because you're a sinner. He had a vision, and he knows this. He says, you know what? I know that this is why you're suffering. You are a sinner, and God is obviously angry with you. Because you have sinned. So somehow, some way, you need to figure out where your sin is and make amends, right? Well, he was wrong. The second friend we hear is Bildad. He argues from tradition. He argues from tradition. And he says, you know what? Uh, he, he goes on and says, God does not do things unjustly, so there has to be good reason why God is doing this. And then the third friend is Zophar, and he just straight up rebukes Job. He just says, you know what? I'm just going to rebuke you. You're, you're a sinner. You need to repent in your life. 
For 35 chapters, they go back and forth. And for 35 chapters, God is absent and he is silent. He's nowhere to be found. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't intercede. He does nothing. He is silent. You see, for Job and his friends, the question they try to answer is why? But at this point, the audience, our question is not why. But yet, how is Job, how is this going to end? How is he going to respond to this suffering in his life? And the same question needs to be asked in our suffering too, right? Not the why, but the how. And so finally, in chapter 38, God shows up out of the blue, and and he takes his friends to school, Job and his friends to school, and he starts asking questions. And I love this part. This uh, Basically, this is how I would do it if I was God, too. And so uh, he shows up, and he asks, and he, he starts to just question Job and his friends. And he says, first, wait a minute. Who created everything? You? Didn't think so, right? That's what God says. And then he goes on, and he says about inanimate creation. He says, who decides where it rains and snows? Do you decide that? Do I decide that? No, didn't think so. He goes on to say, who then feeds the animals? Who takes care of the animals? He says, do you do that? No, didn't think so. God's putting them in this place. He says, you know what? I'm God. I'm the one that does that. I'm the one that created everything. I'm the one that decides where it rains and snows. I'm the one that feeds the animals, and I'm also the one that has you in my hands. Your life is in my hands. God responds by questioning and saying, listen, you need to remember who you are and remember who I am. God never gives a reason for any problems. Do you know he never answers Job the why? He never apologizes either. He never says, oh, Job, I'm so sorry. He never gets down and coddles him. Instead, he just questions him and and wants him to understand. God wants us to understand that he's completely sovereign in his dealings with creation and his people and that what we go through is for, his, for our good and his glory. That's what Romans 8.28 is all about. What we go through in life is for our good and for his glory. We can't ask why sometimes because we may never get an answer. So if you live your life always looking for the why, you're going to be let down. And it's in those moments where you're going to decide, you know what? This isn't worth it. I'm just going to not follow God anymore. I'm not going to follow Jesus. Because you want these expectations of the why rather than looking at the how. You see, the wisdom we need to learn from Job is that God uses trials to build up our spiritual maturity. And without trials, we wouldn't grow. If God just answered the why, Job's faith would have never grown. If you have kids, you understand this. You gotta let them figure it out sometimes, right? You gotta let them figure it out or else they're never gonna grow. They're never gonna mature in life. I love what J.I. Packer says. He says, the ups and downs of life are divinely planned. Why are they divinely planned? In order to mold our character, enlarge our heart, and deepen our devotion to God. So when we're going through suffering, when we're going through trials, and let me tell you, some of your trials are way harder than mine. (laughs) And I'm sorry for that. I'll, I'll apologize. I have no control over it, but I'll apologize. And so some of you are really suffering today. And you're like, that's great and all. I get that God's molding me, but it's hard. I know it's hard. 
I, I get it. I feel you. I honestly do. But we have to remember who God is and who we are in our lives. You see, Job, he persevered by faith in, in all of his trials and all of his testings. He, he got through not because he had the answers of why, but because he had faith and because he persevered. And because of that, God ends up blessing him double. We see here in Job 42, 12. So the Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life even more than in the beginning. You see, God has promised to do that with us too. Do you know that? You see, we live in a broken, a dark world. We're only half the people we are going to be. And for those of us that have faith in Jesus Christ, for those of you who follow Jesus, you know what one of God's promises is for us? Is that we will be glorified and it's going to be an eternal life in which there's no suffering, there's no pain, there's no crying, there's no tears. God promises us hope of eternal life. And it's that hope in which we can live our lives following. The why might not come. But the promise will. God never goes back on a promise. And so we have to understand that we do not live by expectations. Sorry. We do not live by explanations. It's going to come up on the screens here. We live by promises. Because explanations are going to fail us. But a promise from God is never going to fail. And so as we leave here today... James 5.11, I want to read this. And where it says Job, I want you to put your name in there. I want you to put your name in there because James, in the New Testament, James is, is referring to Job and talking about suffering. And I pray that all of us in this room, that people in our life would be able to say this about us. James says, we give great honor to those who endure under suffering, endure with faith, endure by faith. For instance, you know about Job. That's where you put your name. You know about Ryan, a man of great endurance. I hope people can say that about me. I hope people can see my endurance through suffering and that I endure by faith. And it says, you can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end, for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. We're going to see those fully in the promise of God and why Jesus came and so to redeem us from our sins so that we may have everlasting life. And it's in the everlasting life in which we're going to see that tenderness and mercy at its fullest. And so may we live not by explanations, but yet by promises. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this this all-encompassing book of Job and how it's challenging and it's hard to get through sometimes, but God, the wisdom we find in Job is not to give us the why answer, but yet to show us how you want us to persevere by faith in the midst of our trials. So God, as we navigate this life, as we try to get through, I pray that you would just help us and remind us of who we are and who you are so we can persevere. Help us to worship you, not run away from you. Help us to lean in to you, not lean away in the midst of our trials. God, we're in your hands. May you use us as your instruments of mercy. We pray this in your name. Amen.